game two of this series on Wednesday night was a real adventure. On a personal level, I missed my train. The way I go to all these Met games is I drive to City Field before the afternoon show. I take the train from City Field to work. I work, and then when the show is over, I take the train to City. And the reason I do that is because I want to make first pitch. And the only way I'd be able to make first pitch is by taking the train. There's a Long Island Railroad train that leaves Penn Station at 638, and it pulls in at 658. From 658 to walking into the building, I will usually walk in right at 708. So I will walk in as the announcer is saying the Mets take the field. And it's been that way every single weeknight game I go to, to a T. So I got it down perfectly, walk right in as the game is starting, never miss a first pitch. It's fantastic. Haven't had an issue. For Wednesday, show ends, I get on the one train, it never comes. Takes five minutes. I'm like, oh, get a little worried. May not make this LI double R train. It comes, and then it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the subway, and I'm looking at my phone thinking, I ain't making this train. Am I making it? And it goes one stop, stops again. Five more minutes. Now I know I'm not making the train because it's 6.40, and the train's at 6.39. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so what are my options here? I'll oh, just take the 7 train. I got to take the 7. I mean, it's easy. Instead of going to 34th Street, you go one extra stop to 42nd, get on the 7 train. I have not taken the – I've taken the 7 a lot. I haven't taken the 7 Express a lot. I just haven't. Like, when I'm taking the 7 train, I take the 7 train. In fact, I used to take the 7 train a lot of days to work in my time before biking. When I would come to the city, I lived in Long Island City, Queens. I would take the 7 train all the time. Never took the Express. Never. There wasn't an Express to run, and it wouldn't have impacted me from where I was coming from. So I get on the 7 Express. What an experience. Oh, my God. 22 minutes. 22 minutes from the city all the way to City Field. So I missed first pitch. Don't get me wrong. But I walked in as the bottom of the first inning was coming. And I, I, I took a deep breath, looked at my dad, and I said, ah, it could have been worse. So I missed the top of the first inning where Cookie got the two outs, gave up a hit to Bryce Harper, got Castellanos to strike out. But good job by the seven. I got to tell you, it's like a whole new world seeing that seven express. It's actually making me reconsider, is it better to take the seven express as opposed to that specific 638 R? Save me a few bucks, too. That freaking train's $12 or $9, whatever the hell it is. Subway is $275, $325. I don't even know anymore. I stick the credit card in. I, I don't even freaking know. But it's a lot cheaper. I, I do know that. Uh, so we sit down. Cookie was, I would define Cookie as okay in the first three innings. Gives up the two-out hit, gets through it. Gives up the two-out double in the second to Brandon Marsh, gets through it. Gives up the leadoff home run to Edmundo Sosa and then a base hit. So it looked like it could have been worse with 2-3-4 coming up. And to his credit, got through it. Struck out Bryce Harper with a runner on second. Got Castellanos to ground out. And, you know, for the most part, was just good. Looked like his fastball was popping. I checked baseball savant after his fastball was up a tick. So that was good to see. Brandon Nimmo's making more running catches. And let me say this about Nimmo. Because Brandon Nimmo offensively, uh, he really didn't do that much in this series. He went 0 for 8 in the first two games of this series. And then he did have a hit in the finale of this series. So he was 1 for, if I'm at this correct, 11 in this series. Didn't hit a lot. 
And I thought his at-bats on Wednesday were weak. A couple of easy pop-ups, a couple of strikeouts. His defense in center field is so good. And what I can't get over about it is how bad it used to be. I remember saying on the radio, and I I don't regret it because I, I believe it was true at the time. It's one of those things where I was reacting to what I saw. I did not think Brandon Nimmo was an average center fielder. I thought he was a below-average defensive center fielder. And I say that just by watching him. That's the way he played. And starting two years ago, 2021, again last year and again this year, he has blossomed before our eyes as an elite-level defensive center fielder. And I find that remarkable. I find that a testament to the hard work he's he's done. And I think it's so rewarding as a sports fan when you see someone get better before your eyes. It's like, it's like watching your child improve at something. Not that Brandon Nimmo is our child by any stretch, but like when you acquire a star, and that's not a knock on acquiring a star, and that star is brilliant, you appreciate it. But you didn't get to see how he became brilliant. Even a guy who just comes into the league and immediately is great. Like Pete Alonso, Aaron Judge. They immediately came into the league and had outstanding seasons. Now, we've seen Pete grow as a player, especially defensively. So I don't want to say that we haven't. We certainly have, in his case. Uh, Judge, yeah, we've seen him grow a little bit, but they were always great. Brandon Nimmo looked like a fourth outfielder for the first few years of his career. And a part of it was he couldn't stay healthy. But the other part was he wasn't that good, especially defensively. Offensively, you could always see something. But to watch him routinely make these kinds of defensive plays, I'm going to tell you something right now. And I don't have a defensive metric to prove this. I'm just going to give you my thoughts as a longtime Met fan who's watched both of these guys play almost every game they ever played as a Met. And if you disagree with this, fine. Uh, I'm just telling you, an emotional yet somewhat analytical thought to defense and center field. I think he's a better defensive center fielder than Beltron. I do. And I thought Beltron was great. I was never a Beltron hater. I thought Beltron was misunderstood. I thought he was clutch. I thought he was really good defensively. Joe and I used to fight about it. And one of his issues was Beltron plays too deep, which, by the way, Nimmo does too. <laughs> so so that, that one cancels each other out. And I'll never forget a catch Beltron made in Houston against the Astros. Extra innings, tie game, if memory serves correct, back to the home plate. And he climbed up the old Tal Hill in center, which no longer exists, and made this outstanding catch. So I don't take anything away from Beltron when I say it. I think Nimmo's better. I do. I think Brandon Nimmo is one of the best defensive center fielders we've seen with this franchise in a couple of decades. I think he's that good. And I can't believe I'm saying it because I didn't believe that two years ago. Last year, you started to really see it. This year, he makes the difficult catch routine. So I wanted to spend a few minutes putting him over. Because you all know Marcana hit a home run in this game and then drove in two more runs. We already know that. (laughs) We know that Cookie hit in the bathroom because he didn't want Buck to take him out at 82 pitches. I I didn't have an issue with Buck taking him out, even though the bottom of the order was coming up. So I thought you had a chance to sneak out a seventh inning, only because we are dealing with a veteran who's had physical issues. We're dealing with a guy who's getting used to the pitch clock, and that was one of the things Hoff and I talked about early on. Hey, is the pitch clock affecting him? I really don't have an issue after you get through a tricky sixth, because it was not an easy sixth, saying, you know what, I'm getting him out of the game. 
even with a bullpen that you don't fully trust. But Buck obviously knew, hey, I'm going to use Otto. I'm going to use Robertson. I'm not afraid. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. So I got my full complement of relievers. I actually was totally good with that move. And he goes to Brooks Raley, who gets a couple of strikeouts, gets a couple, gives up a couple of hits. And then I thought one of the plays of the game occurred to end the seventh inning. Mets at this point are up 4-1. to one. Canna's hit the home run. Canna drove in the two runs an inning later. So it's 4-1 to one Mets, top of the seventh inning. Runner on first and second, two outs. So tying run at the plate. Batters Trey Turner. Bryce is on deck. Trey Turner hits a ground ball to third. Very difficult play. Beatty is deep as he feels it. We know how fast Turner is. And I thought as that ball got into Beatty's glove, Turner's going to beat this. Now, maybe he can go to second to get stopped. Not sure if he has enough time. But if he throws to first base, I think Turner's going to beat this. And now we're set up for bases loaded. Bryce, he probably keeps railing in the game lefty-lefty. And we'll see what happens. Brett Beatty threw a freaking pee to first base. A tremendous throw. Got Turner out by a half a step. And I thought that was just an a low-key outstanding play by Brett Beatty. Outstanding. Now, the rest of the bullpen, Adam Adovino comes in after Rayleigh gets Harper out. Great. Robertson gets into a little bit of a trouble spot after he hits Cody Clemens on an 0-2 pitch. So they got the tying run up, and then Robertson went into Diaz mode, and he strikes out the next two guys, and the New York Mets win game number two against the Phillies, and they do it with the same formula. Brilliant starting pitching and a great effort by this bullpen. Specifically, the key guys, Otto and Robertson, which for now, we'll see if things change around the trade deadline. That's the formula. And that formula makes me nervous. I do admit. And that's not a knock on Robertson. He's been great. Adovino's had his bad moments. I just have a very difficult time believing that that formula is going to remain this good. Specifically, Robertson. Because, again, Adovino hasn't been that good. It does worry me. And as I sit here today on June 1st, I feel the way I felt last year. They need to add a bullpen arm at the deadline. I feel the exact same way. And no, Billy Epler, it can't be Michael Givens. Sorry. Have you checked on him? He's got like a 12 ERA. I'll tell you, man, those trade acquisitions from last year, woo! How bad is that? But great victory. The issue I think most of us had prior to the game was the lineup. Uh, we saw no Francisco Alvarez, which I didn't have an issue with. I'll explain in a second. And we did see Daniel Vogelback. Vogelback had a very non-offensive game. He walked twice, including walking right before the count of home run. And then he walked in the fourth, didn't score on that one, and he popped up in the sixth inning. And I think what's frustrating is that Vientos has gotten a little bit of a chance to play. He got a chance to play three games in a row. And did Vientos do much? No, not really. I mean, I'll admit that. He had two hits on the game on Saturday, had a nice little two for four, took an 0 for four on Sunday, and had a one for three. Didn't hit any home runs, no extra base hits, but certainly wasn't bad. Like, not bad at all. And I think that's what's frustrating, that you looked at what he did over those three games, and you say to yourself, he should still play. Like, yeah, he's not looking for walks like Vogelback, but continue to run him out there. I get that he's facing Suarez, a lefty, on on Tuesday, and now Aaron Nola is a righty on Wednesday, but I don't think we need to live in a world in which Vientos and Vogelback are treated like a straight, a straight platoon. We don't need to do that. 
And so going into this game, there was a lot of issues with the Alvarez stuff. I didn't have a problem with it because day game after night game is a thing. That's not just been made up. Like JT Riamuto didn't play the other day. Like catchers do not play every single day. It's just, it's that's not what happens. Now, you want to DH him? Okay, they could DH him. It means no Vientos. So if you want to start incorporating Alvarez as a DH, I'd be up for it. I'm not in favor of it now, though, because I'd rather see Vientos play. Alvarez is going to play most of the time. He's going to play. My whole thing of playing two out of three games, that's gone now. Now he's going to play, I think, more than that, especially when there aren't day games involved. They go to Atlanta next week, he's going to catch every game. I'm telling you right now, barring injury, though, you know why I could be wrong? I got to stop myself because I think Narvaez is coming back, and they may want to get him a game in. <laughs> so I, ta- I take that back. But the point is, I didn't have an issue when that lineup came out of him sitting. My issue is the Vogelback thing, which everyone has said at nauseum, but I-, I guess what bothers me the most is that Vientos gets three games to play, he gets, what was he, 3 for 12, 3 for 11, something like okay. Nothing amazing, nothing terrible. He didn't look overmatched. And then you immediately, after that little moment of playing him, you sit him down. And you do it again. You do it two days in a row. And that's not fair to him. And like I said earlier, this is not about I just want to see kids. This is about who gives you the best chance Daniel Vogelback, and maybe it's the pressure, maybe it's the fans, maybe here's what's being said about him. The guy only walks, strikes out with pitches down the middle, and he has seen his batting average dip to 215. His OPS is 667. I have not flip-flopped on Daniel Vogelback. I used to defend him when he was worthy of defending. When Daniel Vogelback had an 800 OPS, I'll engage in an argument with Hoff. Or Sal, I'd be lying if I defended him now. What would I be defending him? He's hitting 215. And it's not fair to Vientos. It's not fair. And you can't give me the position crap. Daniel Vogelback doesn't have position. We're talking about DH. And I think what the Mets have to do right now is either they've got to get rid of him, and that pains me because I, I still think he can be a useful player. To DFA him feels he's going to go somewhere else and perform. I just know it. I don't know where it's going to be. Maybe it's not in the division. Maybe it's not even in the league. So I hate the idea of DFAing him. I'd also hope he has more value than this. The Mets traded a freaking reliever for him in Colin Holderman. Can we redo that trade? I think Holderman's hurt, though, right now. I got to double-check that. So you got to take the drug away. Because right now, Buck is addicted to Vogelback. Like, he just needs to smoke his Vogelbacks two out of every three games, and it's got to stop. It was a nice sign in the finale of this series when he sent up Vientos as a pinch hitter against a left-hander. That was nice to see. And Vientos got the job done. He got a sacrifice fly. But, yeah, seeing Vogelback in the lineup, it's tough, man. And then you get to the finale of this series, and he does it again. Alvarez obviously in the lineup. He goes, he drops back down a nine. I'll address that in a second. And then Vogelback starts at DH, goes 0 for 2, does nothing. Looked like he was really pissed off when he popped up. We're all pissed off, Vogie. We're all pissed off. And he does send Vientos up late, but a, a really great game. Max gets into trouble early. 
uh, hurt by the error by Francisco Alvarez when he's trying to throw out Trey Turner at third. The sack fly to make it 2-0, and then Scherzer is brilliant after that. The Mets get a run back in the third, the two-run bomb by Canna in the fourth, and they flip-flop this game, and Scherzer just goes to work. And he was he was great. He recovers from that tough first inning, ends up giving him seven, which they really needed with a short bullpen. He ended up throwing 101 pitches. I thought, can you push him? You would have an extra day. Mets have an off day on Monday. So in theory, he'd have an extra day. Uh, I thought about it, especially with the short bullpen and really wanted to get the sweep. But Buck says, screw it, I'm going to my pen. Jeff Brigham does a great job. Give him credit. Brooks Raley, for the most part, does a great job. Drew Smith gets the final out. And the Mets win the finale of this series behind Max Scherzer, who may be back. He just may be. But I did think it was a very nice sign. That Buck Showalter said, you know what, Vogie? I gave you starts. You're 0 for 3 with two walks. I'm going to go to Vientos. And I hope that's a sign coming up for this weekend. They're going to face two righties on Friday and Saturday. Bassett on Friday. Barrios on Saturday. And then Kikuchi on Sunday. So you know Vientos is playing against Kikuchi. At least you think so. The lefty on the mound. But he should play all three games. And that's obvious.